summer, one of my summers, like maybe between junior and senior year, and I've been driving for about a year, and I, I drove up to this camp that I've gone to my whole life, this camp in northern Wisconsin, a couple hours away from my house. And um, it was this camp, I, I came into this camp, I was kind of sad, like a, a couple things had happened in my life. I like, like, broke up with my girlfriend right before I went. Um, just life was kind of rough at the moment. And um, at this camp, I remember they were talking about pride. And I don't remember any of the details, this is a long time ago, but I remember pride was the subject. And like an idiot, one day, I prayed for humility. Like, I asked God, I asked God to make me humble. It's like, you just don't, I'd like to, I'd like to suggest doing that. I really don't suggest doing that because of what happened after this. So that was like on a Tuesday. The next day, I get a call from my mom at the camp, which is super weird. Like, I get called from the office and hey, your mom's on the phone. And my mom's on the other end of the line. And she's like, Josh, I just got a letter from the Department of Transportation. You've lost your license, your driver's license, because of speeding tickets. And so, so here I am. I'm at this camp. It's a two-week camp, and you like go home for the weekend in between. I had driven two hours to this camp. So not only does my dad have not, not only was my dad have to come and get me, my mom has to come too because somebody's got to drive my car home because I have no license. Talk about the drive of shame. You know what I mean? Like, like, like my, you know, my mom's so, how's it going, honey? I don't want to talk about it, mom. I don't want to talk about, you know. But it was really interesting, and, and I think I told you guys a few weeks ago, I don't think I've ever seen an actual miracle in life, but I have so many of those things that are just kind of beyond coincidence. Like, I pray for something, and then the next day, you know, something, but it, it's never, it's never like, oh, it's an answer to prayer. It's like, oh, no, that's not the answer I was looking for in prayer, but that's what happened, and I lost my license. Um, we're in this series called The Silent Killer. And The Silent Killer is about this thing inside you and me that, that keeps us from doing certain things that are good for us, apologizing. It keeps us from celebrating others. When we see others doing cool things that are worth celebrating, but we can't celebrate them for some reason, that's that thing inside of us, that's that silent killer inside of us. It keeps us from admitting we're wrong, saying we're sorry. It keeps us arguing a point in an argument when we know we, we lost our point 20 minutes ago. We, haven't, we don't even remember what our point was. It's so long gone, we keep arguing anyway. Uh, it keeps us from admitting that we need help, right? That's, that's what the silent killer is. It's what? It's pride. It's plain and simple, pride. And that's at work inside of you and inside of me. And last week, as a prescription for our pride to, to, to root our, help root out the pride in our, in, in our lives, I said, hey, read the book of Proverbs. Because the book of Proverbs is kind of like walking into a shoe store. You get to try on all sorts of different ideas and see if they fit. See if you play the fool. If you play the, the prideful man, if you play the wicked, if you play, or if you play the righteous guy, there's all these scenarios that, you, that are sitting there a la carte, hundreds of them in the book of Proverbs. And you don't need to know them all, you don't need to memorize them all, but I told you last week, was just read a chapter a day and just pick one. 
that, that fits for you. Like, dude, I, I need to think about that. That challenges me or that encourages me. And to do that this week, um, it was called, last week's sermon was called If the Shoe Fits. Um, I want to name it Cinderella, but it's just too far, you know, off the mark. Um, here's why pride is so dangerous. We talked about this last time. It's why we're talking about, <laughs> we're doing a series on pride for three weeks. I might even throw in the fourth. I'm sorry. But it, it, we, it's like, why do, we, why do we want to talk about pride? It's like, we have to talk about pride because it's so dangerous. Pride, if you and I both have had pride in our lives that have wrecked things. Our pride has completely ruined relationships. If we're honest with ourselves and we think back to, to what has happened in a relationship, we can probably trace it back to one person or more person's pride. It, it's, it, here's the other thing we talked about last week. When, what, what pride does is it fills you up with you. And when you fill yourself up with you enough, there's not any room for anybody else. Um, the other thing that pride does is it gives us confidence when we really shouldn't have confidence. When, when we have no business being confident. Have you ever done that? You're like, yeah, I know a thing or two about this uh, straight in line six, and you realize you're like, it's a mechanic that you're talking to, and you're like, oh, I'm just going to step back. I'm going to take the foot out of my mouth and let you work on the car. I mean, we've all done that. See, pride does that. It makes us think that we're something that we're not, right? It makes us think that we're greater than we are. It gives us confidence when we have no business having confidence. And honestly, we talked about this last week in a spiritual sense. Pride, it, it, amazingly, pride is so powerful we can actually push God out of our lives. If we talked about it, there's a, a, a psalm where it talks about the, the wicked man has no room for God because of his pride. And those are things that we want to avoid, right? Those are dangers and pitfalls that we, gosh, we, 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 I just, I don't wish that on anybody, right? And so this is a series about going after pride, putting pride in its place before it puts us in our place. Uh, I'm going to argue today that the best place for our pride is in a coffin, that we have to work diligently. Like, and this won't happen on its own. You, and no one else can do this for you, you actually have to be proactive in killing your pride. I have to be proactive in killing my pride. When it comes to pride, there are three outcomes, three natural outcomes with pride. Since pride is in all of us, there's, there's three ways it can work out in our lives. One, we put pride in its place, which is what I'm talking about. This is what I want us to do. It's like, hey, let's put pride in its place. Let's call it out for what it is and say, hey, this is actually ruining my life, or this is actually ruining a relationship, or this is actually playing more of a role than I, I've been able to admit in the past, and I want to work to put it in its place. That's, that's one of the outcomes. The second outcome is pride puts us in our place. We get caught. We, we, we get you know, caught doing something. We, we, it catches up with us. Um, a moment, there's a moment where all of a sudden we're like, we can see clearly and, it kind of, and we're, we're ashamed of, of the way we've acted because of pride. Pride. We, there's a health scare. There's a, the, maybe a second chance. Like, you get a second chance, like, the, the, you shouldn't have a second chance, but all of a sudden you have a second chance. There's a, there's a moment of truth. You know, pride catches up with you and you confess it, and there's a moment of truth between you and your parents, you and your spouse. There's some, there's some vulnerability. And when that comes and pride catches up with us, you lose your driver's license, you have a choice. 
Do you want to continue the way you've been continuing, or do you want to put pride in its proper place? And that's the choice that we get. It creates pivotal moments. We get, and then honestly, I think these pivotal moments are kind of like God's grace in our lives. If you think about it, we get caught. Like sometimes getting caught is it's terrible, but it's also kind of freeing, right? Like you know, while we're all we just we get to see we we pick up the rock that has all the the squirmy wormies and, and the gross squigglies underneath it, and we realize, oh, that's me. Oh, you. And we get a chance at that moment, what are we going to do with that you? Are, are we going to face it? Are we going to try to do something about it? Or are we just going to put the rock back and keep living life? And we all have these pivotal moments. In fact, some of you are in it right now. You had an argument with your spouse on the way here or this week that just, and you're starting to come to grips with the fact that maybe I'm in the wrong. And you have a choice to either hang on to that thought or push it away because it doesn't feel good. See, pride, when it comes to pride, there's three outcomes. We can put pride in its place, or we, we, can, um, we can have pride put us in our place. And then the third outcome is, is pride wins. That, that ultimately, the, the thrust of our lives, pride just is part of our lives. For, forevermore, we live happily ever after with our pride. And that's kind of a sad way to go. And we've seen it. We've seen people die with their pride. You can't teach, teach an old dog new tricks, right? That, that old saying. It's like the older we get, the harder it is to change. The harder it is to admit we're wrong. And we've seen people do that. And, and, and I don't want that for me. You don't want that for you. But that's the reality is pride. We get so drunk on it. We get so lost in it that we die with it. I remember one time I was, um, this is years ago, um, my first youth pastor position, and there was this, this sweet little girl that was coming to our youth group, and we kind of gathered that she had this hard home life, and that her mom was probably driving drunk to the, and dropping her off at the youth group, and we're like, I can't really, we need to deal with that. So we called her out on it, I remember sitting down with the mom, and her, the, the, the daughter, and, and we were kind of getting somewhere, and then all of a sudden it was like the mom just walled up. And she literally said these words to me. She's like, Josh, I'm not giving up the wine. I'm not giving up drink. And she, this, this woman actually later died from alcoholism a, a couple of years later. It was like, oh my gosh, died young. But pride, so that's the third option, pride wins. So don't have pride, you'll, you'll die. That's what I, I can't. I can't actually do that. But, you know, but, but pride does kill. If, 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 you know, if not physically, it kills relationships. It kills our. It kills our relationship to ourselves, where we know we're posers. We know we're a joke. But we got to keep up that front. That's not very fun. So why don't we kill it? The best plan of action I'm going to propose today is we kill it before it kills us. It, Kill it before it kills you, before it gets you, before it gets the best of us. Go towards it. Admit it. Um, guys, this is, I struggled with this sermon this week in the prep because this is as close to like fire and brimstone as I'm going to get. Okay, if you're not fire, you know, um, familiar with fire, fire and brimstone preaching, 
This is like, I, I wanna, I'm gonna get on your case today. Fire and brimstone <laughs> preaching is like, you know, preaching on the fires of hell and you don't wanna go there, so run to Jesus, you know? See, I'm not even good at it. Like, I, just can't even, I can't even like, but um, this is, I, the title of this sermon is called Scared Straight. That I wanna show us something today, help us see something today, a side of, the, the sad side of pride, Ooh, that would have been a good title, too. So write that down for me. Sad Side of Pride. I want to show that to you in a way that it almost creeps you out. My goal is to creep you out a little bit today. Because when it comes to our pride, we, we have to come face to face with it, and it's not fun. But the result, if we don't come face to face with it, is really sad. And so we're going to look at two stories from the Bible that are sad stories. They have sad endings were stories where pride gets the last word. One is in the Old Testament, one is in the New Testament, one of them's long, one of them's short. So I'm gonna do the long one first. So as we're like halfway through the long one, you're like, we have yet another story to go, don't worry about it. The second one's really short. So turn your Bibles to Daniel 5. And if you have a if, there's, if you don't have a Bible, there's one on the on the benches or the chairs next to you. Um, in, in this Bible, in the church Bible, it's eight 85, Daniel 5, 87. Turn in there, and I'll give you the background to this, this story. 887. Does anybody remember Nebuchadnezzar from World, uh, World Civilization or even uh, Sunday School? Raise your hand if you. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. Um, this is after Nebuchadnezzar. This is about Nebuchadnezzar's not as well-known grandson. His name was Belshazzar. Cool side note. Uh, so, so Nebuchadnezzar is a pretty well-documented guy throughout history. You, if you had a world civics or a civilizations class, you, you probably covered him because he was a mighty, um, uh, he was a warrior king, one of the greatest military leaders. He was the greatest military leader of the Babylonian Empire. So for a while, he was probably like Forbes number one in taking over the world. Like he was, he was top, of the, like top of the class for, for conquering. And um, one of the places he conquered was Israel. And we'll learn about this in a second. One of the things that was interesting that Nebuchadnezzar did, this was pretty common in the ancient world, but Nebuchadnezzar had a God collection. So he, when he's taking over the world and conquering the world, he'd go into a nation and Back then, it was like you, is if you're going to war, you'd obviously pray to your God before you go to war. If you're being attacked, you pray to your God for protection, right? And so what Nebuchadnezzar would do is like, he, out of his arrogance, he actually would go into a nation, take it over, find the center of the, the worship for their God, and then take their idol. And then take it home to his God collection as a way of saying, my God, Marduk, is better than your God. Or, or maybe even in, in this case, I am better than your God. It was ex extreme pride. And actually, if you read the first five chapters of Daniel, you'll see a lot, a lot of it centers around Nebuchadnezzar. And it's cool because he comes to, you know, the three outcomes with pride. It either you put it in your place, it puts you in your place, or you, you die with it and it wins. He actually ends up putting, it kind of a combination of, he gets put into his place, and then as a result, he puts pride into his place. And he even, he calls on the name of God. He's like, I was wrong. 
that God, Yahweh, is the real God. And he and he's this cool thing. He says this cool thing at the end of chapter four. In fact, if you're there in eight and seven, he says this. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And he's like, I see that now, and I'm humble before him. So that's Nebuchadnezzar. Fast forward two generations. Nebuchadnezzar had a daughter who married a guy, and that guy's name was, I'm forgetting it, uh, Nabonidus. And Nabonidus had a son named Belshazzar. So the Belshazzar is his grandson. And a uh, cool side note, but Belshazzar is not nearly as well known as Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is in all sorts of ancient writings. And for a couple millennia, there was no writing of Belshazzar. We didn't know anything about Belshazzar except for what was here in the book of Daniel. Only in the Old Testament was there recording of this, of this Babylonian king named Belshazzar. Until 1854, go ahead and put that picture up. This was found in modern-day Iraq, which, is, which was where the center of Babylon was, uh, in, a t in a city called Ur. This was found, and this is called a cuneiform. Do you guys remember that? It's these conical um, stones that they write all the way around it. And Belshazzar is on that stone. There's four of them found in 1854. Um, that, that just kind of you know, verifies this. And I show this to you because we're not, um, as we read this, this isn't once upon a time in Mordor. You know, the, in, in, you know like this isn't, this isn't like fictional. This is, this is real stuff. I don't know what museum this is, but you can go see this thing that talks about Belshazzar, and that's who we're talking about today. So Belshazzar, um, is he's, he's actually not the king at this point. He's a co-regent with his dad, Nabonidus. And Nabonidus is off to war with the Persians. The, the new wave and the new empire that's coming up and really threatening the Babylonians is the Persians, the Medes and the Persians. And uh, there's this guy named Cyrus the Great. Um, and he wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't called the Great for no reason. He was a conqueror. He was a mighty conqueror as well, like Nebuchadnezzar. And Nabonidus is fighting him, and they lose. The Babylonians lose to Cyrus the Great. And Nabonidus just disappears. He just kind of evaporates into the ether, into the hills. And, there, and, the, and then his son, Belshazzar, is stuck, or is, is, in, is in the capital of Babylon all by himself. He's no clue where his dad is. The Persians have now basically whittled away at this nation and have come to the capital as the last stronghold. That's where our story is set up today. Do you have a question back there? Um, King Belshazzar? Yeah, Belshazzar. Belshazzar. What's his, what god does he worship again? He worships Marduk. Question. Actually, that fits perfectly. So what Belshazzar does, so he's surrounded by this, this um, the, the Persians. And I don't know, what, what would you do in that situation? Would you make a last stand? Would you, you know, get your people together and just, you know, be with your family, shut yourself up? He does something maybe we wouldn't do, and we don't quite know why he did it. There's a few reasons, maybe a few explanations for it. He decides to go and, and throw a party and just live it up. As, he, as the city's surrounded, he gets thousands of his royal officials together and throws this huge party. Now, it could have been just like, hey, well, if we're going to go out, let's go out with a bang, you know? That could have been going on. It could have been just like, dude, I just need a drink right now. You know, I can't, I can't handle this, and let's, you know, whatever. It also could have been he actually 
was trying to do something ceremonially, ceremonially to Marduk. This party, a lot of, it, a lot of in the ancient world, the pagan religions uh, involved the worship of them, involved revelry, um, like so just doing crazy things, partying, drinking, prostitution, all these weird, weird practices. It's possible that that Belshazzar was trying to invoke the name of Marduk. And so what he did, and I'll, I'll just summarize and then we'll pick up here in a second. He raided his grandfather's god collection and grabbed all of the gods and brought them to the party. And then put all the gods around the idol Marduk as if they were paying homage to Marduk, maybe to try to invoke Marduk to do something to save them from Cyrus. That, we don't know, but that's, that's the context. And they're eating, and there's drinking, and then all of a sudden this happens. You, see, you guys need to read your Bibles more. It's so good. This stuff is so good. Let's pick up. Uh, we're going to pick up in verse 5. So they have, uh, they, actually, verse 4. As they drank wine, they praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron and woodstone. I mean, they're just grasping at straws here. Let's just try anything to see if it works because we're in a desperate place here. It, 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 but the other, the other option, it could, have been, it could have been his pride. Like, oh, that, there's a, there's, that was a really well-fortressed city. He could have been like, they're never going to get in here. Verse 5, suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. Dude, I want to preach this on Halloween sometime. <laughs> it's so, I mean, just imagine if, like, right, as I'm speaking, like, just a hand came and just wrote, and the plaster starts to flake off the wall as words start to form. You just, you would run out of here. In their case, they can't run out of there. They're stuck in the city, you know what I mean? It, it, it gets, it, it's so weird and so creepy that it says that, that, that um, Belshazzar's knees start to fail him. You know, and the classic thing, like, all of a sudden the music stops, and people set their glasses down, a couple people drop them, and then a woman goes, oh, you know, like, it's, it's that kind of scene. Um, and what happens is, that, and then the hand disappears, and there's these four words on the wall, and nobody knows what they mean. So Belshazzar is like, hey, listen, get the magicians, get the wise men, get all of the, anybody who, who's like, you know, like a voodoo magic spiritual person who can decipher what's, what just happened, because that was freaky. I want to know what that says. And if they can do it, I will make them third in the kingdom, which is just hilarious. Like, like you're, you're really, this is borrowed capital at this point. Like, you're, you're, the Persians are outside. I'll make you third in this mess that we got here. You'll be the third to be beheaded on the platform. But, uh, yeah, he uses it anyway. And they come, and nobody can make sense of it. No one can make heads or tails. So then um, Belshazzar, his wife, says, listen, there's this guy. His name's Daniel. And if you're familiar with the story of Daniel, Daniel was, Daniel was he's a Hebrew. And he was, he was taken over when Nebuchadnezzar took over Israel. Daniel was one of the few. So a lot of them were killed. A lot of them were probably sold as slaves in different parts of the empire. But then he took like some of the young like kind of the princes or the, the, the people who were educated. And, and Nebuchadnezzar's like, hey, let me tell you about the greatness of Babylonia. And that's Daniel's story. And it started, what's cool, about, what's cool about the Bible is a lot of these stories start when they're teenagers. They're like, your age, that was probably Daniel's world. 
But now, fast forward, Nebuchadnezzar's been dead for years. Nabonidus, Belshazzar, it's been generations. I, he's probably in his 70s at this point. And, and I can't get into all the details, but Daniel's a bad dude, man. And, I mean, he, he just, he sticks to his guns. He stands up to authority. And he's just not swayed by much. Because he is such strong faith in the real God. And he's not afraid to tell men that are probably think they're gods or you know, like demigods or quasi-gods, like they're chosen by God, that, you know, that, hey, you're not real. The, the real God is, is, is real. And he's about to do that here. And it's so cool to watch. But she's like, there's this guy, Daniel. You might want to talk to him. He interprets dreams. He might be able to read that. So Belshazzar goes and grabs Daniel. And, and Belshazzar does this whole thing. Hey, listen, you can read this. I'll give you a purple robe and, you know, like this, this thing around your neck. And, and, and Daniel's sitting there saying, yeah, Nebuchadnezzar did that for me, so-and-so. Like, he's been around the block so many times. And he's had, he's had these kings kind of, like, like, fawning over him. And he walks into the room, and it's so cool because Daniel embodies, as we're talking about pride, Daniel embodies confidence without arrogance. You're about to see he embodies swagger without a sense of superiority at all. It's just he, he's not afraid to call it out and be like, no, you're wrong. But that has nothing to do with me. It has to do with God. And it's, it's just this cool embodiment of, of confidence without pride. It's possible. Um, but let's just read. He's like, then Daniel answered the king, verse 17. You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read what's written for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God. You know, like, I know right now you've been worshiping that God over there. And look, keep in mind, that's, that's where he's, he's talking about. He's like, Daniel at the moment is surrounded by gods. And he says this, the most high capital G gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. You think, you know, like Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar, that was your grandfather. You grew up revering him. He was your Babylonian's, Babylonia's greatest king. That where that came from, that was given to him. Here's the, just pause for a second. Everything that you have Everything that I have, any talent we have, any resources, any good things, things we're good at, all of that is on loan. It's not ours. It was given to you. And, and this is good to think about. Even if you're not sure if you believe the God of the Bible, if, if you're like a spiritual person or you, you like, like the universe, it's, this is good to think about this kind of stuff. Because it puts us in our place. Regardless of what you believe, we can all agree that when it comes down to it, whatever we have now, we will not always have. What we, what we have now, the, the resources, we talked about beauty a couple weeks ago, beauty fades, right? Talent, like, like our strength. I, I, did, I, I pride myself so much in a bad way, and sometimes a good way, but mostly in a bad way, of like just what I can do. 
with my own two hands in my garage building crap. You know, like I'm just proud of that. And it's like, and every once in a while I have a moment in time, and this is like one of those, those pivotal moments where you, I stop and think, but what if I couldn't do this? We talk about this. Like, what, what if all of a sudden I just couldn't, it didn't have the physical health or ability to just go upstairs all day, back and forth, back and forth, or go on a run and do any of these things that I love to do. And the reality is, is no matter how scary that thought is, that's, that's my future. The sovereign God has given that to us. And that, that we won't always have that. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father, Nebuchadnezzar, sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and people everywhere in every language dreaded and feared him. The, those kings wanted to put him to death. He, uh, those, those, king, those the king wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. Those he wanted to humble, he humbled. Like, like he, could, he could judge people's pride. But when his heart became arrogant, this is Nebuchadnezzar, and hardened with pride, he was deposed of his royal throne and stripped of his glory, meaning God put him in his place. Pride put him in his place. He was driven away from the people and given uh, the mind of an animal. He actually ate grass like a cow for a few years. Interesting story. You should check it out. <laughs> he lived a while gone. He ate grass like a cow and an ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged and this is the most, this is the, this is the phrase I want us to get. That we have this phrase up. The most high God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth. And he sets over them anyone he wishes. And here's the thing. This is the, the, the this verse right here is probably the best antidote that we can have against our pride. Let me read it again. The Most High God is sovereign over you and me. Sovereign meaning he has control, ultimate control over all the kingdoms on earth. And he's the one who sets over them anyone he wishes. When we start to compare ourselves to the sovereignty and the power of the God of the universe, it's really hard to think big about ourselves. How many of you have ever looked at the night sky and got a little frightened? You ever had that experience? Have you ever, have you ever just looked at the, at the stars up there and, and be like, just your mind was boggled and baffled at how big that is? And then how small our planet is, but our, I mean, our planet's huge compared to me. We were sitting there one night, we were camping. This is like five years ago, so my youngest was like five. We were sleeping out under the stars, we were traveling, and the three of us just went and slept out in the yard. And um, Titus and Jody, the older ones, started talking about galaxies. And I don't know what had transpired in the weeks prior to this in Lucy's world, the five-year-old's world, but she's like, guys, you've got to stop sitting with galaxies. Something, and, and like, like something about aliens and galaxies, like that there might be aliens in other galaxies, 
and it freaked her out. She's like, she shut the conversation down. That's actually kind of a good thing. Okay, a five-year-old being terrified about galaxies, that's not a good thing. But, but, but that inkling that you and I feel when we look at something large, so much bigger than ourselves, and it puts us in our place. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to think about that every once in a while. If we don't do that, our pride is inevitably going to get the best of us. The Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth, and He sets them, uh, and He sets over them anyone He wishes. Verse 22, but you, Belshazzar, his son, well, they'd say that in the ancient world, his son means grandson, it's from his lineage. You have not humbled yourself. Here you are on the brink of disaster and you're partying. You think you're high and mighty, you think you're, you're going to be spared from this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You see, the, the other thing they did is, is oh, oh, I forgot to mention this. We need to back forward, back up like 20 minutes, okay? So you know how Nebuchadnezzar had the God collection? Something really interesting happened when he got to, to Palestine, to Israel. He got into the temple in Jerusalem, and he busts open what's called the Holy of Holies, where only one priest could go a year, and he's like, and he probably knew that by that time, like, that's a sacred, there's probably people saying, no, don't, that's our most sacred place. He's like, yeah, that's why I want to go there. But I want to debunk your God right now in his pride, right? And he just storms in there, and the craziest thing happens. There's nothing in there. There's no God. Because the God of Israel had told the Israelites, listen, you shall have, like, you, no graven images, no idols. That's like, it's like number two, three, and four in, in the, the, the Ten Commandments. It's like all about, yeah, okay, we got it. You don't want us to have any idols. What's next? Okay, don't cover your neighbor's wife. Okay, now we're getting into it, you know? It's like, they, they get there, and there's no, there's nothing. There's, there's, there's some silverware. There's some goldenware. And Nebuchadnezzar's like, well, I guess this is going to have to do. So he takes that, and that they were drinking out of those goblets during the party. Sorry for that, missing that, that boat, that, uh, that little boat. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines drank wine from them. You praised gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron and wood and stone. Look, and I, I picture right then that, that Daniel, even though he's in the 70s, just went like to one of those idols and just knocked it over because he can't. It's like, they're just rocks. Which, that probably didn't happen. Which cannot see or hear or understand, but you did not honor God who holds in his hands your life in all your ways. And I pause once again. Do you honor God who holds your life in his hands. Do you see how that reframes everything? You see how that, that like like we can't we can't come before God and be grumpy and rant at Him sometimes when we think, but you hold my life in your hands. It's a good thing to think about. He sent the hand that wrote the inscription that says, "This is the inscription. That's what it was written." Many many tackle parson. Here's what these words mean. Many. God has numbered the days 
of your name, which, yeah, uh, yeah you, your days are numbered. Everyone knows that. And brought it to an end. You're done. And the reason it says that twice, this is often in the Bible, when something's said twice, it means it's like doubly true. <laughs> so like, this is going to happen. It's, your end is near. Tekel, you have been weighed on scales and found wanting. Belshazzar, you have lived a life and you're accountable for the things that you have done. And, and you're, going to, you're going to be, since your life is towards the end, you have to call an account for what you've done. And again, I, I pause and I just, God has numbered our days. They, we won't live forever. We know that. That's like the most sure thing in the world, that, that someday we'll come to an end. The question is, and at the end of that, not the question, but the, the end of that, according to this and according to Scripture, a lot of different places, New Testament, Jesus talks about this a lot. We're going to have to give an account for the way that we live. That scares me straight. I was thinking about it this week as I was just like bumming around, wasting time playing games. But I just like, I'm just like, I had this realization that heaven can see me. You guys can't. But I was like, all the angels in heaven can, can see me right now. Is this what I want to be doing? It's kind of crazy to think. It's creepy. It's crazy to think about that God has numbered our days and that we'll come to the end of our days and we'll, we'll be judged based on what we've done. And now, yeah, I have to pause. This is, this is the trouble. This is the trouble that I'm in. And I talked about this last week, but anytime I talk about this, because, because it's like, okay, Jesus died for our sins. Maybe if you grew up in church, hear that. So, so all any we're, we're forgiven of all the bad things that we've done. Okay? So we don't have to, and, and we've learned in church, you don't have to do anything to earn God's love. God is like the ultimate heavenly father. He can, you know, like, like I remember holding my kids for the first time. It's like, I can't love anything more. They hadn't done anything. You know? And I knew that they would do things against me that they would be problematic being a dad at some point in time. And I'm like, I don't care. I just love them. And I'm not even, I'm like, an okay father. The, the heavenly father, perfect father, he couldn't love you anymore. It's not like you do bad things, he loves you less. That's not what these scales mean. This is what's tricky. Because in the Bible, we, we, we find both of these messages. God couldn't love you anymore. It doesn't matter what you do. Nothing can separate you from his love if you're in him. Okay? And then over here, we are judged for what we do. And it's like, which one is true? Is it that God loves us unconditionally? It doesn't matter what we do? And, or is it matter like we're going to be judged for the do? And the Bible's answer to that is yes. They're kind of just both true. And it's hard to explain. But what we do in this life, this one and only life that you and I have matters. In some senses, all of heaven is kind of hanging on. What will we do with this one life that we have? Will we do it? Will we, we will we put God on the throne in the right place where He should be, or will we put ourselves on the throne and say, "No, no, I'm going to do my will, not your will. Thy will be done, or my will be done. I'm going to go my will. I'm going to go my way." And the, the reality is, is, is we're going to come to the end of our story, 
and have to give an account. And, and, and Jesus, through the cross, can forgive anything wrong that we can do, but there's still this kind of hanging thing at the end. I don't want to get to this end of this life and be like, oh no, I missed it. I wasn't humble enough to chase after my pride. I wasn't strong enough to, to look that face to face. I wasn't strong enough to bring that up to other people and, and, and really get to the root of it. And that's the story here. Check it out. This is an oh no story. Then Belshazzar commanded Daniel, then uh, at, at Belshazzar, oh no, we've got to finish Perez. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Which is interesting. Daniel had probably already had visions that predicted this. And that's, it's, he, he had a lot of visions that would be like, yeah, you Babylonians think you're pretty good. There's another one, and then another one, and then another one coming beyond that. And he predicted all those. So he's like, this, yeah, this is going to happen. I know this is hard for you to believe, but it's going to happen. Crazy. Um, rewind like a week before. Cyrus the Great. He's, they call him the Great for a reason. Diverted. This, this isn't in the Bible. This is in, like, you can look in ancient history. Diverted, I think it was the Tigris River. I, it might have been the Euphrates. I'm not sure which one goes through this area. Diverted a river that was going basically through the city. And as the water was diverted, the, the, the river level went down and it exposed tunnels where the water was coming up into, so that, because that was, that was the genius, that maybe why he wasn't all that afraid, maybe why he was partying, he was like, you're not gonna get in here. And Cyrus is like, oh yes I am. And he tunneled through, and that night, Belshazzar dies. He gets, he gets the, the whole um, Babylonian Empire gets overthrown. Belshazzar comes to his end. And we're left to say, oh no, he died with his pride. Go to the New Testament quick. We've got to do our second story. Otherwise, it's going to be the longest sermon ever. <laughs> Luke chapter 12. This one's told by Jesus. One day, Jesus is walking around, and people are like, hey, I'm, you know, like, I'm trying to divide. I'm trying to divide my inheritance with my brother. It's not fair. Can you talk to him? And, and Jesus is like, no, that's not my scene. I don't want to talk to him. But I will tell you this. Be careful of all kinds of greed. Be careful of how money can, can, can ruin your life. And this is actually more to do about money than pride, but pride is a part of it. We'll see here in a second. Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Make sure that your life, yeah, Jesus said this, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told him this parable, the ground of a certain man yielded an abundant harvest. And Kids Life just talked about this verse a couple weeks ago. This, this story. The, the ground of a certain man, rich man, yielded an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Pause. This is really interesting. You gotta watch this. The dude talks to himself. The whole parable, there's no other, there's no other characters. Why? Because when, when our pride fills us up with enough of, of us, there is no room for anyone else. So he's, he's literally having to have a conversation with himself about his good fortune. Let's, let's, let's listen in. What shall I do? I don't know, self. What should you do? I have no place for these crabs. Verse 18. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I got an idea, self. I will tear down my barns and build, the, and, and build bigger ones. 
and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. And what was interesting, I wish there could be a fly on the wall when Jesus was telling the story, because there's probably a crowd around, or usually there's a crowd around him. And as he told this, he's probably telling this to people who are living very hand-to-mouth lives. Meaning, what they, what they get in a year, they eat that next year. Or what they get in a week in wages for their work, they use to buy the food to feed themselves the next week. Meanwhile, Fabio, like, come back to this guy. He's got, Jesus spotlights a guy who doesn't have that problem. And he's talking to himself. And I imagine the crowd's like, oh, that poor guy. I mean, what to do with all that grain? Oh, that's a great idea. You should build yourself bigger barns. Because that was, they, they couldn't relate to that. Their, their worldview is like, anybody who had that much, probably, especially in that, that, that time, to be that wealthy probably means that you were extorting people, that you, you were pushing people down in order for you to get up. So they loathed this man. They saw through him right away. Take, take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. And verse 20, this is like, it's a twist ending. It's like, boom, all of a sudden it's done. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The end. And it's again, it's this, oh no. A person in their pride, in their arrogance, thinks that everything that they have that they've gotten is for them. And it ends with them in their barns. And he gets to the end of his life and he's like, I built a barn. That's all I have to show. And it's a barn that somebody else will, will have. This is how it will be whoever stores up things for themselves that is not rich towards God. I bring up these stories, these sad endings, to help us to see that's not the ending we want. But if we don't face our pride, it's the ending we might have. I can't overstate this. And I, I, it's, it's, I'm trying to be sensitive because I'm not trying to shame us into anything. But I am trying to get us to take steps towards humility, where we don't think we're all that in a bag of Cheetos, but we actually see ourselves for what we are. We're children of God. We're valuable. You are loved by God worth dying for. But he is sovereign over you. He, he, he is the God of the universe. And he controls your life and mine. And when, if we keep that in focus, it keeps pride at bay. I want you to, this week, continue reading Psalms from the Proverbs. You can read Psalms too, but Proverbs is what I want you to read. If you did that last week and you started with chapter 1, you, you came across a phrase. This is um, Proverbs 1-7. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And that, that idea, that phrase, the fear of the Lord, is one of the... It's, one of, it, it's probably one of the hardest to understand phrases in the Bible. And I'm glad it's translated the way that word fear. God doesn't want us to be afraid of him. But when, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, it's deep honor, 
solemn respect. I, I saw this, I found this, this phrase that I really liked. Unparalleled allegiance. That's what fear of the Lord means. And that's what the, the writer of Proverbs is moving, steering, you know, like if you want to be knowledgeable, it starts by knowing your place. The fear of the Lord, like knowing God, I, you are God and I am not. And then, then, and then we can proceed to talk about pride because it kind of just, that, that one thought kind of puts pride right in its place, right where it should be. Keep reading the Proverbs, uh, one proverb a day, and just just find find the shoe that fits and keep fighting the pride in your heart. And I'll do the same. We'll meet again next week. Talk about it more. Let's pray. Oh Lord.